In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we are grateful for the love that you have shown to each of your children that have been baptized in your Son, Jesus Christ, and in his life and death and resurrection. I pray, Father, that as your gospel continues to go out to the world, to the ends of the earth, that you would help us, Lord, to realize that our very lives are tied up in your mission in this life and on this earth. Lord God, we love you. We pray for the salvation of the world through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the good news for um, me and the bad news for you is the good news is um, my sermon is actually on the text that we ended up reading, which is good. It would have been a very bad thing had it not been. All right. Today is a World Mission Sunday in which um, the ACNA, uh, our Anglican Church in North America, our province has set aside for preaching and teaching on world missions. And as you probably noticed as well, um, these passages uh, for a preacher are home-run passages in the sense of Genesis 12 and the call of Abram and the Great Commission in Matthew uh, 28 and that beautiful text from Revelation uh, chapter 7, verses 9 through the end. But here's what I want us to think about and to ponder this morning as we look at the mission of God in the world. And it's this. The mission of God is happening right now. And we are involved in it, and it is for the nations. The mission of God is happening right now. And we are involved in it, and it is for the nations. Uh, growing up, um, and I, I grew up in a Presbyterian uh, church until the age of about 10 and spent about 15 years in the Baptist church. And I recall us um, one year in the uh, Southern Baptist church we were attending, a wonderful, quaint, uh, tiny little church called Mammoth Baptist Church. The irony of that, 80 members called Mammoth Baptist Church off of... Uh, Actually, the Miltons have been to that church. It's, I'm not lying when I say it's fairly small and fairly rural. Wonderful place to know the Lord. And I remember um, that we had a missions giving Sunday. And it was um, called like Lottie Moon Offering. Has anyone ever heard of this that our Baptist brothers and sisters do? It's a wonderful thing, yes. And uh, we were fairly new to the Baptist church at this time. And my family um, were sitting in the pew when, um, come to find out, it was an older lady in our church was dressed up as Lottie Moon. She walked to the pulpit and she began to kind of uh, talk as Lottie Moon and then to ask for us to give towards the Lottie Moon offering. And my family, who knew nothing about Lottie Moon, we were struck because there she was in flesh and blood at Mammoth Baptist Church. Uh, She she had passed years ago, and that was not her, but anyway, all that to say, it was kind of one time a year, and we Anglicans have picked up on that, that we preach about giving and missions and these things, world missions one time a year. But what I want to push back against is this detachment that can occur in the lives of us as Christians where we think that, well, the mission of God is kind of something we talk about one Sunday and world missions is kind of happening and, and that's over there. And we're here. 
that the mission of God is something, I don't know, kind of um, uh, something that, that, that occurs in such a way that we're not actually living in in the present. You see, the readings are so wonderful this morning because what they do is they begin with Abram, they move to the Great Commission, but then they show us in John's revelation, or at least the revelation to St. John, of what is going to happen. But the history of God's redemption is happening now. We're living in it. It's not something that has happened or something that will happen in the future or something that we kind of get to engage in from time to time as a believer. No, it's something that's happening now and we're called to engage in it and with it now. I would say that when we see ourselves not as detached from global missions, but as being involved in it in a variety of ways, then the mission of God becomes um, tangible, becomes alive to us. We're no longer just um, spectators, but we realize we are actually living in it now. And I would say this, brothers and sisters, as we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the global mission of God starts in your family and permeates to the ends of the earth. Do you remember what our Lord said in Acts chapter 1? This is right before the ascension, before he uh, disappeared in the, in the midst of the disciples up into the clouds and into heaven. He said this, You, the disciples, my followers, my, my people, my disciples and others around, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in where? VBS kids, you should know this. In Jerusalem, in where else? Judea, or Judea, yes, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. There is mission to be done locally, regionally, and globally. And we as believers are able to participate in it through giving, through prayer, and finally, of course, through going. But let me talk a little bit about our passages here to set a few things up. Genesis chapter 12. If you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there with me. Genesis chapter 12. Just three verses. Three foundational verses in all of Scripture. The calling of Abram. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country. That word go comes up in our gospel reading. It's the same go. The, go, the word go to Abram. Get up and go, that is, follow where I'm going to tell you to go. And then our Lord is giving commands to the disciples to go. You see, there's a connection there in the mission of God, this going. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to land that I will show you. God was setting up a covenantal people to be a kingdom of priests to the world, to display for them what it looks like to live lives under the care and obedience and instruction of Yahweh, the only true God. They were to model that, to model that for the nations and for the world. In verse 2, we see the set of promises. And I'm going to tell you, beloved, right here, that these promises in Genesis chapter 12 are actualized in John's vision in Revelation 7. The promise has a fulfillment. The promise has a fulfillment. Verse 2. And I will make you a great nation. You see, just a chapter before, we had seen the Tower of Babel, the human striving on display. What Babel had tried and failed to do, 
God gives out of his grace to Abram. Do you see that? What Babel had tried and failed to do, that is to construct an edifice to reach God in their own ego, their own pride, their own skill. What they had tried and failed, of course, for them to become a great nation and to have a great name, Yahweh gives to Abram. He gives what Babel was trying to secure for themselves. And he gives it to Abram and to his family, saying in particular, I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Beloved, this promise is actualized in Revelation chapter 7. It's fulfilled. We see it. We see the remnant in Revelation chapter 7 of all tribes and tongues and nations. But here's the thing. People have to go. People have to go. Some of you need to stay in Jerusalem, in your own household, in this region, as missionaries. Now, you may push back and say, well, I'm not called to be a missionary. Well, you're called to be a disciple, and disciples are called to make disciples. And therefore, when you're making disciples in a context or with a person that's not a disciple, you are a de facto missionary. So welcome, all of us, to missionaryhood. We're all there. We should be. Some of us in Jerusalem, some of us Judea, some to Samaria, the kind of quote-unquote half-breeds that were half-Jew and Gentile whom no one loved. And then, of course, to the ends of the earth. All the families, Yahweh tells Abram, will be blessed because of your saying yes to my command to go. Now, Jesus, whether we know it or not, or have realized it or not, he's picking up on that go in many ways in the Great Commission. Matthew 28, I invite you to turn there. Some of you, I'm sure, have it memorized, which is wonderful. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. I'm always struck when we see the 11 and not the 12. Just, just a reminder that one betrayed, one fell away, lest it not be us. So the 11 here went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Remember, he said, go before me, he told the disciples post-resurrection. He said, go before me. I'm going to meet you all in Galilee. And this is it. This is going to be the meeting. Verse 17, and when the disciples saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. You know, it's interesting. Some doubted even seeing the resurrected, post-resurrected Lord in their midst. But it's not so much here, this notion of doubting. It's not so much that they saw him and were like, well, we don't think that you're Jesus or even that you've risen from the dead. A lot of commentators say that because these disciples were devout Jews who were following the Messiah, some of them probably thought twice about bowing down and showing worship to him, to anyone other than Yahweh. They didn't want to break a commandment. Some of them were doubting whether or not they should worship him. Verse 18 goes on to say, And Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What, is this, what does this remind us of here? This all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's a pretty bold proclamation. You know, this authority was promised to Jesus uh, earlier on in his ministry. Actually, at the very outset of his ministry. Who promised him all authority on this earth? It wasn't God himself. Levi, who was it? It was the devil. Amen, son. Satan, tempting our Lord to do what? 
to grasp for himself all authority. But you see, it had already been given to him fully by the Father, and he knew it. And he's speaking in that authority now, saying that it has been given to me all authority here um, on earth and in heaven. It's mine. (laughs) Have you ever um, been instructed by a boss who says, a loving boss, by the way, who just kind of reminds you of their authority and then tells you to go do something? Anybody ever been there? Maybe it was a bad boss, but they're kind of out out of their authority. They're saying, all right, hey, maybe I love you, but here's the thing. I'm telling you, you got to go. Jesus is reminding the disciples, all authority has been given to me, and now I'm telling you, commanding you, go. Go as Abram went. Go as all those who love me will do. They'll go. Go out of the authority that I'm finally, of course, going to give by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to give 19 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples. What does it mean to make disciples? It means to bring people to deeper faith and obedience to Jesus and his commands. That's what it means. And so if you are discipling someone, you are, in a sense, a missionary, in a way. You're missionizing. You are, you are going to them with the truth, moving them to faith and obedience. Some of us in Jerusalem, some Judea, some Samaria, and some to the ends of the earth. Because Jesus says it's not just around here we're going to make disciples. He says of what? Of all nations. Then going on to say baptizing them. This is a part of the discipleship. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. A promise that in our going, in our bringing the gospel to others, here locally and around the world, we don't have to fear that he will leave us alone. Matter of fact, he has sent his Holy Spirit. He is present with us always to help fuel the evangelization of the world. I've heard one theologian say that the promises of God are really the foundations of our faith, or the foundation of our faith. Meaning that when God promises something, he comes through on it. So we have faith that when he promises it, promises us it, or a variety of things, they will in fact come true. Well, Revelation 7. I invite you to turn there with me if you've got a Bible. I know it's a lot of turning here, but it's good. Revelation 7, 9 through 17. I'm not going to read it all. But I'm going to say, beloved, this is the fulfillment of the mission of God. This is it. John gets a glimpse of it. You and I get a glimpse of it through his writing down this vision. Uh, N.T. Wright, in his, uh, he's got a little commentary on, uh, well, he's got a commentary, I think, on every book of the Bible. Because um, the guy can, like, write faster than I can think. It's just crazy how much he puts out. But he actually gave um, a, a story to talk about Revelation, the entire book, but Revelation 7 in particular. He says that he used, to sl- he used to sleepwalk a lot up until he was about 20-something years old. Has anyone here would like to, has anyone ever sleptwalked before? Okay, I've, I've done it just a couple of times. Um, yeah, uh, asked Jennifer one time about this terrible time I was sleepwalking, and she, yeah, she was yelling, hey, wake up, wake up, because it was not a good deal. All that to say, everyone survived. But... N.T. Wright said he would sleepwalk, and sometimes he would be dreaming about the room that he was in. Like there was this weird kind of, uh, there were some boundaries that were uh, kind of clear and unclear, right? He was dreaming about something that wasn't really taking place, 
but the place where he was was involved in the dream. Is that, is that making sense? Well, John in Revelation, and specifically Revelation 7 here, when he's able to see into the throne room to see what's going on, it's as if he's sleepwalking. And here's what N.T. Wright meant by that, and I think it's so good, because Revelation 7 and the entire book was written to a suffering church that needed to see the promises of God fulfilled in the future. They needed to see it. Like N.T. Wright was in the hallway and the dream was about the hallway. The hallway was the reality at the present moment. But the dream here, the vision that John is given, is for what will take place in the future. And it is to sustain a suffering church. That the promises of God given to Abram that, li- that are lived out through our discipleship and through our missionary efforts will come to fruition so that we won't lose hope in this life. That the church won't lose hope in its mission to spread the gospel to all nations. There's a unity here. Unity in verses 9 and uh, 10. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The blessing to Abram, the nations, they are going to receive a blessing from you, a blessing from God. And it will be a diverse group. All languages, all tribes, all nations being represented, the remnant from each of those being represented. But there will be a unity in the message, a unity in the prayer, a unity in the adoration of Jesus. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What a beautiful image. What a beautiful image. So let me end with this. So what does this mean for all of us? Three things. The first is this. Do not connect your life and your Christian existence in this this world, in this life, from the mission of God on earth. Because if you do that, you become the Lone Ranger Christian who just kind of does your own thing in your own time. You're not aware that God is really moving in the hearts and minds of people here and now in Birmingham and around the globe. Don't disconnect from that. The second is this. Not all of us are called to get on an airplane and to go to the 1040 window in which all the unreached people groups of the world live, or I think all of them, or close to all of them. But you know what? God has called some of you to do that. (laughs) He's called some of you to do it. I'm just going to say it straight up, just like an old Baptist pastor told me. God has called some of you to get on an airplane and to go for a week to support missionaries and pray, or to go there for two months, or to be like this, these, uh, this, this two couple, or this couple, these two persons who were living in Waco, whom I lived with in Morocco in Casablanca for two months doing missions work, they were retired and they moved to a closed country to live for two years because they felt God doing it. God is calling some of you to be involved in that. Follow his lead, follow his calling. For others of you, he's asking you to open up your wallet and start supporting some of our Anglican missionary efforts around the world. Do it. He's calling us to pray for the lost, for the unreached people groups of the world. But he's calling some of you to go. 
And you should do it. You need to do it. And finally, this. Let me begin this final statement here with a question. How many of you have gone on a local or foreign mission trip before in your life? How many of you? Raise your hand. Okay. A good amount. Not everybody, a good amount. What did God do to your faith when you were there and when you returned? Did he, um, did he expand your faith in the mission of God? Did he move you um, towards not only praying for the lost, but seeing the church and how beautiful and wonderful the mission of God is on earth? Some of us, brothers and sisters, need to go not just to uh, fulfill the Great Commission and God's maybe individual calling on our life. Some of us need to go because like the doubting disciples, you've doubted. And when you see the church around the world, when you see the missionary efforts of our brothers and sisters around the world, you're going to encounter the mission of God that encompasses the whole world, and God's going to strengthen your faith through it. So, beloved, on this World Mission Sunday, let us remember the mission of God is being worked out and lived out even now as I preach. It ought to be lived out and worked out in our lives. If God's calling you to go, you should go. If you're weak in your faith, I think you should go also, for the Lord will use it to show you his glory and his plan for the world. And finally, beloved, no matter where we're called to, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or to the ends of the earth, the mission of God will be completed. We see it in Revelation 7. And to that end, brothers let us, and sisters, let us continue to strive and pray for the church around the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.